Great. Well, good morning. As you know, and as you've just been reminded, uh, Christmas is coming. And so the big question is, what books are you asking for? Have you made a plan already? I've got great news. Uh, if you haven't, you don't have to want as many of, as these, although there are some of us here being like, I could really do that. Um, but even if you're not much of a reader, I, I just want to say, I think if you can read and you're a Christian, you should be reading good Christian books. Uh, I put it as plainly and as simply and hopefully as encouragingly as that. They are so valuable. They, uh, they allow you to spend uh, time with good company. Uh, people who have learned some things, who have experienced some things, who can show you some things from God's Word. It's good to hang out with people like that. Well, Christian books are, are ways of doing that. And um, they also help you think about great things. Uh, in Paul's letter to the Philippians, chapter 4, verse 8, he says, Whatever's true, whatever's honourable, whatever's just, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Christian books are a great way to do this. And so I've put together a list of over 50 books that I think will help you uh, to do this. I'm not telling you to read all of them this year. I've arranged about, there's, there's just over 20 different categories uh, or topics, and there's, I've suggested two books for each of those uh, topics. So, so therefore, so I've halved it already. Isn't this becoming manageable? No, and, and then within that, if you really are wanting to filter down, there's a must-read suggestion from each of the elders. So that's getting you down to six, and then you can choose one from those if you want. But I just want to say, for most of you, if you're able to read, you should be reading more than you are. It will do you good in God's purposes. I just believe that. Um, And I think there's a reason God speaks to us through his word and through words. Uh, So there. (laughs) So for that person you want to encourage... There's a load of suggestions. And for your own list, you can give other people. You say, this, this book looks really good. I just thought it would be interesting. Uh, small group leaders have got the list already. Uh, so you can ask them for that uh, today if you want. Um, and it'll be in the news email on Tuesday. Uh, so it's there for you. And um, I really hope uh, that you get at least one and it does you good uh, in the year ahead. Okay, talking of Christmas lists, I'm obviously asking for plenty of books. I may also be asking for a new backpack. So this is my current backpack. You're like, well, it looks perfectly fine. And it is a really good backpack. I got it a few years ago. I like it a lot. The only thing with it is, I mean, it does actually say on the front, it says 20 litres capacity, which is on the slightly small side, I have realised. And particularly, it's on the slightly small side for when I cycle to the shops. Uh, which I like to do, um, and I, I go shopping, and, and, and I, I just, once again, my overall enthusiasm s- doesn't always tally up with the reality of a 20-litre backpack. I'm not, and I'll, I'll put stuff in, in a trolley, which isn't a good way to start, is it? <laughs> and I think, it'll get in there. It'll get it. I'll get it in there. I'll get it in there. Um, and, and often I do, uh, but sometimes I don't quite. Uh, and, and so I'm then, face, I mean, like Collington to Polworth. So that's, I don't know, like 15, 20-minute cycle ride, something like that. More than that, when there's the, the big hill in between. And so what I've done, when I realised that this bag wasn't quite the size it needs to be, is I, I got some red string. And basically, there are some hooks on the outside of the bag. And you can thread the string around it and therefore kind of lash stuff to the outside of the bag. And so I've cycled home with like a massive pack of, like a multi-pack of kitchen towels on the back, which were never going to fit in any backpack anyway, were they? Unless I'd bought like a full-on, I don't know, massive bag. Um, or the, uh, I'd really recommend that, um, you know how oranges are, they're, they're in nets, they're in those nets. So that works really well for like threading 
the string and uh, off I go cycling home. This time of year, we're obviously going to get, we missed you cards, some Royal Mail. Uh, so I'm going to need to cycle over to Sight Hill to pick those up. And I'm not going to know what I'm going to pick up. And so sometimes it'll fit in the bag. Sometimes it'll get lashed on. Other times I'll think I need to ask for a new backpack. Many of us can feel our lives feel a bit like that, can't they? Just trying to fit it all in. Just go, I'm sure I can fit that in as well. I'm sure I can put that in too. And we feel like we actually end up with more than we can carry. And actually, the end of Paul's letter to the, uh, the Thessalonian church is a little bit like that too. Because after explaining things over time and building up his case and things like that, he suddenly just goes, oh, and also do this, do this, do this, do this. Don't forget that, don't forget that, don't forget that. And I don't know if he was just running out of parchment, and so he's just kind of squeezing it all in at the bottom, uh, or he was just aware there was so much more that he wanted to say to them. Uh, But he just gives them loads of short kind of commands and encouragements. And if you're a diligent reader, if you're you're reading that as a Christian, uh, what will probably happen at that moment is you'll think, oh no, I'm barely doing any of those things. And I was struggling to do all the stuff in the previous four chapters of this letter. And now you're just like, oh, don't forget this, 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 and this. But actually, in this last section, there's some really great news, some really wonderful hope uh, for us. And uh, so we're going to see what that is uh, as we get into what God has got for us today. And um, it's going to help us uh, to understand how to live for God and actually what God wants us to do as we're living for him. So uh, in my backpack, there is a very small Bible. Um, So let's read 1 Thessalonians 5 uh, verses 12 uh, to the end of the letter. We ask you, brothers and sisters, to respect those who labour among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, brothers and sisters, admonish the disruptive, uh, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast what is good, abstain from every form of evil. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful, he will surely do it. Brothers and sisters, pray for us. Greet all the brothers and sisters with a holy kiss. I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read out to all the brothers and sisters. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. This is God's word. Why don't we pray that we would hear him speak to us through it. Lord, we do ask you for that, that your uh, grace that Paul ends this letter with would be here with us right now. And that you, by your Holy Spirit, uh, would give me the right things to say and would give all of us ears to hear what you're wanting us to say and understand and do and live and rejoice in. So please be with us now, God, we pray. Amen. So Paul ends his letter with um, basically talking about... a. a the ways in which we need to relate to a whole bunch of people. He talks about relating to church leaders, relating to one another, relating to God, and then relating specifically within that to relating to the Holy Spirit. Uh, but we're just going to focus on the middle two uh, of those today, relating to one another and relating to God. And we're going to flip the order that Paul uh, went for because uh, he would normally, in a more ordered section, he talk about how we relate to God and then how we relate to one another uh, because 
that, that's how it works. God does a work in you and then you're able uh, to work and bless others. Um, and it, what he's doing when he does that order is he's following what Jesus taught us. Jesus was asked, what's the most important thing in all the world? What's the greatest commandment? And he said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbour as yourself. So that's absolutely in Paul's thinking here. It's like the most important thing is how we relate to God. And then from that is how we relate to those around us. And so that's why uh, he's really not very negotiable here. I mean, Paul very rarely is. He's like, take it or leave it. You, you don't write letters to say, take it or leave it. You write letters to say, you ought to do this. But Paul's particularly insistent here, isn't he? He says, we urge you. And he uses words like all, anyone, always, everyone, always, without ceasing, in all circumstances, and then caps it off with, this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. You might feel like, okay, I can't escape from this. So when this backpack of mine is full and I'm at the shop and there's still some things to get in it, I guess sometimes I'm faced with this choice of, well, what can I leave behind? <laughs> What's got to come with me and what sadly isn't going to make it? And if it's the kind of vegetables that are left and the crisps and chocolate that are taken, that's just the way it is. Um, but now I'm trying to, I have to work out what, what, what am I going to keep? What am I not going to keep? Well, we're all creatures uh, who live in time and space. We're limited by that. And, and so we have to do a similar thing with our lives. We have to ask the question, what must I do? And then we can say, what could I do? And then we have to assess, as well, what can't I do? I just don't have the time to do it. Well, Paul is not allowing you to put what we've just read in the category of, I just don't have time to do it. I, I'm sorry, I'd love to, but I just can't. No, he's saying these are priorities. These are going in before everything else. Now, if this is all just adding to your sense of being overwhelmed, don't miss how Paul frames this whole section. He talks about at the start of it and at the end of the commands, he talks about peace. And so before we get on with looking at what he tells us to do, we're going to look at why peace matters and how the peace of God informs everything that Paul wrote and how we're to live. Now, when we think of peace, most of us think of an absence. Uh, we think of you know, no conflict, uh, no noise, no stress, maybe nothing on your to-do list or, or whatever it is. Kind of, if that thing just goes away, we think, I will feel peaceful. But the Hebrew word in the Old Testament is shalom. And shalom is much less about absence and is in fact much more about presence. It's about, the, it's about a, a thing that is there. It's wholeness and it's fullness. The theologian Cornelius Pantinger puts it like this. It's a great quote. He says, It's the webbing together of God, humans, and all creation in justice, fulfillment, and delight is what the Hebrew prophets called shalom. We call it peace, but it means this is really important. Far more than more peace of mind or a ceasefire between enemies. In the Bible, shalom means universal flourishing, wholeness and delight, a rich state of affairs in which natural needs are satisfied and natural gifts fruitfully employed, a state of affairs that inspires joyful wonder as its creator and saviour opens doors and welcomes the creatures in whom he delights. Shalom, in other words, is the way things ought to be. So when you read the word peace in the Bible, that is what it means. 
This was God's design in creation. Uh, He created uh, all things and he put humans in a garden and the garden was called Eden and Eden means pleasure. It doesn't mean awful time or struggle and strife. That means pleasure because that's what God designed uh, for us to experience. We were to be in relation with, uh, with creation in a way that was harmonious and fruitful and successful and pleasurable. And we were to relate in those same ways to people around us and principally we relate to God in that way. But the Bible's account tells us how quickly we turned away from God and so we lost our peace. And so immediately you have that happen in Genesis 3. And from then on in, the stories that follow are full of tension and anxiety and conflict and division and violence. So sin's selfishness, its rejection of God's love turns us away from him and then turns us away from each other. We are distant from God and from everyone else. We are fractured and lonely. We are hurting others and hurting ourselves. And that's why simply thinking, if only that thing would stop, then I'd feel at peace, won't do it. That's why it's much, you know, an absence of war or noise or stress won't give you peace. If you kind of search what people think for peace, you'll have lots of images like still lakes and quiet things and stuff like that. But you know the trouble about still lakes and quiet things like that? They will make you hear the voice in your head. And they will make you consider the tension within you. Like Emma was saying, about that's the thing about nighttime sometimes, isn't it? There's nothing to distract you. And so unless there is a peace that is within you, you cannot have true peace. And so we're not at peace. The world we live in is not at peace. And we, we know this is just normal life. That's what we're used to. But we know it's not how things ought to be. And so one of the things that God says when he talks about his rescue of the whole world and his restoration of his creation, his recreation, is that he is going to bring back true peace. How does he do this? Well, through his promised Messiah. And the prophet Isaiah has a load to say about this. It's in your small group notes. I've just a couple of quotes for us here now. Isaiah 9. Hey, we're getting near Christmas. You will hear this one. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulder. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. And Isaiah 2 tells us what this looks like. It says, He shall judge between the nations and shall decide disputes for many peoples and they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. You see that it's not just that they stop using weapons. It's not just like, oh, sorry, I'll stop, I'll stop using that weapon. No, it's that that weapon is transformed uh, from an instrument of violence into an instrument of life. It becomes a farming tool so that you will work together with others and you will produce life and fruitfulness in cooperation and harmony. That's, that's the total transformation that the Bible means by peace. How is the Messiah going to do this? When there's so much that isn't peaceful in us. Well, it's because our lack of peace comes from our our relationship with God that's been broken. And so Isaiah 53 verse five says, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. Jesus reconciles us to God by taking the punishment from God for what we have done wrong. 
And he gives us the peace that he has always had with God in its place. So no wonder when Jesus was raised from the dead and appeared to his disciples for the first time, having achieved all of this, no wonder he said to them, peace be with you. Jesus is the giver of peace. He is the one who makes us whole. He even even embodies this because his body was on the cross. It was broken by sin, but then it was resurrected to this new eternal wholeness and health. And this is the transformation that he offers to us. He says, your own sin has ruined you. I will give you, in the same way that my body has been resurrected to new peaceful wholeness, I will give you this. If you give me your life, I'll give you mine. And that includes his peace. And so Paul gives us instructions about how to love God, how to love those around us in the context of peace. We are at peace with God. We are working with Jesus, the Prince of Peace. We are filled with the Holy Spirit, who is the Spirit of Peace. We're not straining to fit everything in. And we're not hoping that if we do fit everything in, we do get everything done, then hopefully we'll feel okay and we'll feel peace. We're not trying to do that. Rather, God has given us his peace. And Paul's compact instructions are part of what it looks like to live in that peace and to experience it more and more. And so as we learn to do these things again and again, by God's grace, we become those who tell the story of peace. We show people what peace looks like and we become shaped by it ourselves. And this means that the things that Paul's going to describe, all the stuff we're going to look through in the rest of our time together, these need to become habits. These need to become things that we do almost without thinking sometimes. And that happens by intentional decisions and by repetition and repetition and repetition. So we'll look then at what Paul says about how we're to love God and how we're to love uh, those around us. And he starts by, when he talks about loving God, he just says, okay, I'm going to give you three things that sound impossible. I want you to rejoice always. I want you to pray without ceasing. And I want you to give thanks in all circumstances. The first and third of those things, they just sound emotionally impossible. And the middle one sounds physically impossible. So what is he doing when he says, this is the will of God for you? You're like, how is that the will of God? Let's look at them. Firstly, rejoice always. Let's start with what it can't mean. It doesn't mean that we should pretend that bad things are good things. It doesn't mean that when terrible things happen, we're like, what a great thing to have happen in and of itself. We have enough of Paul's own testimony of his sorrows and his suffering uh, to, to know this. It can't be what he means. And he says in Romans 12, 15, he says, rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. There are there's, there's obviously things that happen that make us mourn and, and weep and we, we shouldn't pretend that they're otherwise. This isn't a ban on mourning or lament. But what he's saying is that we can rejoice even with tears in our eyes. Because nothing in this life has a veto over the joy that is to come in the eternal life that we're going to experience when we go to be with Jesus. And so even the worst things that happen now, they they aren't the final word. They cannot be all that we see because there's something we see past them which is greater than them. No one can make Jesus any the less worth rejoicing in. 
However awful some of the people you have to deal with are, there is no one who, whose their awfulness is so great that Jesus is suddenly less great and less worthy of your uh, joy. And God is with us. If you're a Christian, the Bible says God is with you. And Psalm 16 verse 11 says that in his presence is fullness of joy. And so again, this isn't simply, you're like, work this up. No, it's like God is in you working this out of you. And so whatever is happening in your life, God is always good and the gospel is always great news. And so those things are always worth our rejoicing in. And even the good things that happen to us, that you're like, I'm happy. I don't need any help to rejoice in this. I like it. I'm going to be happy about it anyway. But even that needs to be re-understood as a gift that comes from your heavenly father who loves you. And so you rejoice doubly. The more you rejoice, the more you'll be aware of what you've got to rejoice in. It will open your eyes to the goodness of God. And that's part of God's wholeness for you. So rejoicing always, a thing to learn. Pray without ceasing. Well, maybe continually might be a better word uh, to express kind of the scale of what Paul means uh, and matching that alongside with the reality of what our brains are capable of. Uh, Because you're like, well, (laughs) pray pray without ceasing. It's like, I am going to sleep. If, if I don't stop at any other time, I'm definitely going to sleep. And in fact, most people say there's lots of times uh, where I will not be uh, praying. So what are we going to do about that? Well, there's times that we set aside by ourselves just to seek God and to pray. And the more we do that, and uh, more frequently that becomes part of our life, the more we think, yeah, I am praying more and more. Uh, there's times when we pray with others. That's what we're going to be doing tonight down in the hub at six o'clock. And that helps us again to pray. But I think the heart of what Paul's talking about here is learning to turn our thoughts towards God and into prayer all the time, more and more and more. There is a practice known as breath prayers. And that just, basically what it does, it encourages us to kind of take a a, a phrase that we can pray kind of as easily as breathing. It might just be like, oh, have mercy. You see people, what I do, but have mercy. Or those that you love and just kind of keep coming to your mind again and again and again. Like, what do I do? Bless them and keep them. Bless them and keep them. Bless them and keep them. Not just requests. Breath prayers are also opportunities for meditation, for, for, uh, for conversation. I just say, Yahweh my rock. Just, Yahweh my rock. That is a prayer. That's a prayer. You might, feel, you might be on the top of a great hill. In fact, yes, God's my rock. You might be down in despair. Oh, God is my rock. It might just be simply like, what now? What now? Not in a kind of, oh, what now? No, what now, Lord? I want to be led by you. What now? Philippians 4 links continual, uh, increasing, increasing prayer with receiving the peace of God. Because it, that's how we refuse to let anxieties dominate us. Uh, but instead, we use them as prompts to pray quick prayers and to be given grace. So when those moments come, like, what am I going to do about this? I'm going to pray right to God. Help me, have mercy. God, bless them. I don't know what's going to happen. God, have mercy on them. God, bless them and keep them. I found, again, just so what Emma was saying about uh, in, in the watches of the night, as it were, you know, your, your mind just kind of, it just goes haywire, doesn't it? And again, it's just an opportunity to go for distraction at that point. Just need something to take my mind off this. And there is time when that's legitimate. But one of the things I've found is that just having scripture in my head, in the dark of night, helps me deal with those moments. So I'm not like, where do I go for this? No, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They're new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. 
That's what I, that's what I do. That's, that's how, that's how I, the, 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 as I've learned scriptures like that, that helps me to pray them like I'm breathing. This comes over time, but it comes. And then Paul says, give thanks in all circumstances. When uh, Horatio Spafford, uh, a lawyer in the 19th century, heard that uh, all his children had drowned at sea, he wrote a hymn called, It Is Well With My Soul. Well, how did he write that? Well, verse 3 gives the explanation. He says, My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin, not in part but the whole, is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh my soul. And this is the root of why Paul gives thanks in all circumstances. Because in all circumstances, Paul knew that he was a forgiven sinner. Paul knew that his life once had been enmity with God, that he'd been an enemy of God. They'd been charging in exactly the opposite direction. And God had rescued him and God had reconciled him to him and God had made him part of his family. And that was true for Paul every day, every moment. That was always true. And so Paul was always giving thanks. Whatever the circumstances, when he was being beaten, when he was being attacked, when he was under pressure, he was saying, but yes, that's all rough. It's really hard. God might work through it. I don't know, but I am saved. And so I give thanks. I belong to God now. And so I give thanks. That's how Paul gives thanks in all circumstances. I I say this a lot. I I'd strongly recommend journaling to you, journaling your thankfulness to God at the end of each day. It just recalibrates your head. Sometimes you'll have a day, there's loads of great things have happened. You'll be like, thank you God for this, 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 amazing, wonderful. And again, we're amplifying and um, increasing the accuracy of our thankfulness as we credit God with all those good things. And then other days, you just won't know what to say, except thank you, I'm saved. Thank you, I belong to you. Thank you, there's eternal joy coming. And again, we're learning to give thanks in all circumstances. So these are three ways in which Paul wants us to relate to God. They sound impossible, but actually there's grace for us to rejoice always and uh, to pray without ceasing and to give thanks in all circumstances. And then he goes on to talk about loving others. And this flows from our peace with God. If we have peace with God, we can be members of a community of peace. And he shows us what this looks like. And it's not a place where differences are hushed up, uh, where everyone's the same, um, or uh, you know, where conflict is avoided. No, that's not what he describes at all. But it is a place where everyone is seeking to bless everyone else. And this is coming from knowing that we are gods and that he is working his peace and his wholeness and his fullness in us. Um, just to note, uh, Paul doesn't say uh, leaders and elders do all this. The rest of you, I understand, you can't get there. He doesn't do that. He says it's for all of us. Obviously, places like small groups and serving teams, getting connected and getting knowing people are key places for this to happen. But Paul just doesn't put a limit on them. So what does he say to do? He says, admonish the disruptive. Uh, That word is usually translated idle, um, but the sense is people who aren't working and they're spending their time causing trouble in one way or another. Uh, We might say they are people who disturb the peace of others. And given that Jesus came to reconcile us to one another, this kind of behavior cannot be allowed to go on. 
And so if there's someone you know, and they, they, are, they are disturbing the peace of others. They are causing trouble. They are, they are being uh, disruptive. You can't think, oh, I wish one of the elders would deal with that. Uh, you're, the place it's meant to start is with you who, who knows them. I'd say, um, do you realize what happens when you do that or when you did that? Do you want to tell me a bit about what was going on from your perspective so I can understand a little bit and kind of show you that I care and love and then go and say, actually, I think this is difficult with you doing that that's this way. I think that this is causing disruption. It's damaging the peace that's meant to be in the community of God. And leaders should only be involved if the situation can't be easily remedied. Now, this might sound like the opposite of a peaceful life. Because <laughs> like, again, what we think of peaceful life is just you know, everything chilled and no conflict. And actually, Paul says, no, by bringing this, this is how we learn, this is how we help people to be peaceful to others and how we help bring about reconciliation. That's, where, that's how peace flourishes. And so that's to happen. And just to say, if, if you just look at your behavior, it's like, is this behavior disruptive? Again, there's prophetic times where we're like, actually, no, God's spoken. I know this is right. But is this behavior, when I look around, people are like, oh, it's me. If you're a Christian, you just cannot live that way. Like, I know I was very clear about the importance of reading books earlier. This is much, much, much more just non-negotiable. If we're causing trouble to other people, we are going against the will of God. Paul then tells us to encourage the faint-hearted. Uh, unlike those who cause trouble, these are those who are troubled. And they're, they're, you know, he, I think he has in mind people with emotional difficulties, uh, spiritual turmoil, and Paul wants them to know God's peace. And so they need your prayers, and they need your company, and, and they, they need God's truth. And they need to be encouraged to rejoice and to pray and to give thanks. And therefore, you need a lot of wisdom and sensitivity as to how to bring those encouragements. Some of you are excellent at this. Some of you, you just talk to someone and they'll end up saying, oh, thank you so much. That was so encouraging. And you won't, you'll be like, I've just, just said a normal thing. No, you've probably got a gift of encouragement. And others of us need to copy you. And then how you do that. And if you haven't got that point, you need to pray. Lord, give me sensitivity to this. Help me. Job was faint-hearted and his friends did two things. First thing was really helpful. They didn't say anything. And the second thing was less helpful. They started saying lots of things about how it was his fault. Now, words are the means by which God blesses us and helps us. So we are to speak them to one another. But it's working, the working out of that how requires sensitivity and leading of the Holy Spirit. Then he says, encourage the weak. And probably, I think by weak, I think it's the physical counterpart to the emotional and spiritual uh, faint-hearted. Often this is going to be very practical help. It might be that actually you orient your whole life around this. You might choose a job uh, or, a, uh, or a vocation in, in which you're just helping the weak all the time. Others of you may find it's a much more spontaneous thing. It's like suddenly there's an opportunity. The hampers, suddenly there's an opportunity uh, to connect with some families who you would never otherwise know. And you can now give them great uh, food to enjoy and celebrate over Christmas. All of us are to do this because all of us have received this. We were all weak. We were all helpless. We were all in dire trouble. And God, by his grace, came and rescued us and gave us his goodness. And then Paul says, be patient with them all. All. I love that word. All. 
Yes, that person you're thinking of right now. Or peace requires patience. The times when it requires us to hold our tongue. Often it requires us just to pray for grace. You want a breath prayer? Give me grace. Just give me grace. Remembering your sins and faults and how God has so graciously dealt with you. And then sometimes not holding your tongue, but having a a careful and honest conversation if necessary. Patient with them all. And he says, see that no one repays anyone evil for evil. Retaliation, I've already said it, it's just not an option for those who follow Jesus. It's important that if uh, things have happened and we've been uh, hurt uh, and damaged, um, there are means that God has appointed uh, for justice to be done and for reconciliation uh, to happen. But we are not meant to be looking to get back at that person. Now, I suppose very few of us think in that moment, I'm going to get them back. I think if you're a Christian here today, and the thought goes through your head, I'm going to get them back. You're like, I'm pretty sure that's not what I'm supposed to do. Even less so, everyone's like, what I'm going to do is I'm going to repay that evil with evil. (laughs) No one thinks that way. And yet, how easily can we be deceived into doing those things and justifying them because they hurt us, because of this, because of that, because of the other. We must carefully consider our motives and our actions when we've been hurt. Hurt people hurt people. And if we're hurt, we need to therefore think, okay, there's a real danger here that I might hurt that person as I get back at them. We're gossiping about them, negative comments about them, isolating, ignoring them, refusing to forgive, refusing to be reconciled. These things increase the amount of evil in the world. I think it's really helpful sometimes just to say what a thing is and what it does. And sometimes you're only thinking, will this increase the amount of evil in the world? It might be such a tiny, tiny thing. But Christians are called to be peacemakers. It's not normal for us. And it's not normal for the culture we live in. Our TV shows and our novels would almost all be a lot shorter if everyone lived this way. Yet God's going to fill eternity with us living this way. And it will be wonderful. God is making a new normal. And that's what Paul concludes with. A summary of what he said. Always seek to, seek to do good to one another and to everyone. So that probably means the church and then the whole world and always. That's the gospel. That's what God's done. And so we need to be asking this question, how can I bless this person? Again and again and again, we see them. How can I bless this person? How can I do them good? That's what God's called us to do. It's how he's called us to live. And because he has treated us in this way, because his peace is at work in us, And I know you might think, well, it doesn't seem to be working that much at the moment. Well, here's how to release it and experience it and live in the good of it by living this way. Let's look at one more thing, perhaps the most controversial of everything in this section. What does he mean when he says, and Luke kept using that word all, and now Paul says, greet all the brothers and sisters with a holy kiss. What is going on? Well, why don't we see how a couple of other translations have dealt with it? J.B. Phillips, you may not be surprised to learn, was a mid-20th century Englishman. And so he translates holy kiss with a handshake all round. Let's keep that distance. 
And then Eugene Peterson, uh, American at the end of the century, greets all the followers of Jesus there with a holy embrace. Let's just say you've got options. <laughs> the reason Paul says kiss is because that's how family members greeted each other in Greek and Roman culture. When you went up to someone and kissed them, you were saying to them, your family. We are profoundly united. There are loads of other people around here, but we're family. And so as the Thessalonian church did this, from all their different backgrounds and with all their different disagreements and arguments and tensions and personalities that they may have had within that church, they were saying, yeah, whatever, whatever else is going on, we are family. And we're together and therefore we're to live at peace with one another. It was a physical action that displayed and encouraged the, physical, the spiritual reality of their being united in Christ. And what happened is some church traditions took hold of this uh, and they called it giving the sign of peace. And I want us to do that uh, today. And if you know the person who's next to you, so you just turn around, you just kind of turn around and you say to them, peace be with you. And they reply, and also with you. And if you know them, go for a hug. If you don't, go for a handshake. (laughs) It's the meaning that matters. Yeah? And the meaning is that God has reconciled us to himself and to one another. It's that the Prince of Peace is coming again to make his people and his creation just as they ought to be. And that peace will be everywhere. And so we say, peace be with you. And we reply, and also with you. And it is a prayer for today. And it's a promise for tomorrow. For all who have trusted in Jesus as the Prince of Peace. And if you're here with us today and you're not a Christian, well, we're still going to say this to you. Because it's, it's the offer that Jesus is making to you through us. That this peace could be yours. You can speak to someone about that even today. So what's going to happen is I'm going to pray Paul's final blessing for us, which is where he brings the uh, references, God as the God of peace again, just to bring this whole section uh, to a close. Uh, And then we have the opportunity to give each other the sign of peace. And then we'll sing about how wonderful Jesus is. So if you you want this and you're able to stand, why don't you stand? There were a lot of instructions there. There were a lot of things. I wonder if one of them stuck in your head in particular. One of them you thought, I'm just not doing that. I just don't know how to do that. I've just never done that. Or I used to do that and I'm not anymore. Whatever it was, why don't you just now, maybe close your eyes, that helps you focus on God. But you just bring that to him in prayer and say, God, would you help me with this? Don't think of it as an extra thing to carry, an extra weight on top of everything else. Jesus said, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, from gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, my burden is light. The things he calls us to do are not always easy, but the means by which we have them make it an easy burden. Lord, we just pray now that you would give us your peace. Now, May the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will 
surely do it. Peace be with you.